Hi, Grace. Uh, good to be here and good to be sharing this space and this time with you. Uh, and I'm going to pray and then we'll get, we'll get right into it. So please pray with me. Lord God, you are the one who has extended so much welcome and invitation to us. Uh, I pray that, that we might be people who respond to your wonderful, gracious invitation. I pray that this morning would be an opportunity to respond to the way that you might be leading us and guiding us and, and drawing us in uh, into into greater, um, even deeper life with you. And God, you know where each of us are right now, and you know um, the deep, in our deep recesses of our minds and in our hearts where we are, what we're carrying. Uh, and so I ask that you, would, that you would speak to those places where we need your words of life and your breath of of peace and healing. Um, thank you for caring and for being that type of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we started a series, uh, a new series called Making Room, where we're living into God's welcome. We're exploring this theme of hospitality. What does it look like to be people who, whose posture is developed and formed by the Spirit in such a way that we are, that we are making space in our hearts and in our minds for the other, for the stranger. And last week was just a bit of an introduction where we talked about uh, this idea of, of, being, of being welcoming, of being hospitable, because that's who God is and, and that's what God is like. Uh, and also um, talking about, well, like why now in this sense of, of it really feels like a a moment of obedience, to, to follow Jesus in this invitation of having a life that is open uh, and that is, that is inclusive of the other, of the stranger, of the poor, of the widow, of the oppressed, of the orphan, of the immigrant. What does this mean? What is Jesus calling us to, both as individuals but also as a community? And, and why now um, it's this opportunity to say, okay, Jesus, um, what do you have for us? And, and what's the next step of, of obedience, of following where you are leading? Because it begins with God. This is God's work. And then, um, so I offered or extended an invitation to engage a couple practices with me over the next eight weeks. Um, and these practices include a prayer and also include reflecting on thinking about reading passages from Scripture. This last week, uh, I don't know if you participated, but... Uh, the passage was from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. And I love the beginning of that uh, passage, love without pretending. That's how it's rendered in the common English Bible, love without pretending. And, and this sense of, of wanting to be people whose love doesn't have pretense. Um, there isn't something that, that is hidden, but it's this, it's this extravagant open love. And then, as, of course, as we go through that passage in Romans, it talks about um, extending hospitality uh, to one another, but also to the stranger. And this idea of hospitality in the Greek um, is philozenia, this, this, uh, uh, this 
connection of two words of both love and stranger. It's love of the stranger, which is the opposite of xenophobia, which is fear of the stranger. And this is a core um, Christian practice. It is a practice that has been connected to the church throughout its history. It's the reason why churches um, were at the forefront of taking care of those who were sick during plagues and, and, and during things that were going on in society where the people were, were rejecting or not taking responsibility for those around them. Christians were at the front lines of those types of things. Um, and, and because it was a, a step of faithfulness and extending the welcome that God had extended them. And so that's what we're exploring, and we're going to continue to explore that over the next eight weeks. And I've had people ask me or say, like, wow, that's a long time. Um, how, do you, how are you going to uh, talk about that for eight weeks? And, and it just made sense to me, kind of planning this, like, well, of course, eight weeks. And then when I was asked that, I thought, oh, no, like, maybe that is too much. Is it going to be too redundant? Is there not going to be enough new information? But as I've been thinking about and praying for it, I guess the hope is that th through the next eight weeks, in our exploration, in our reading, in our praying, um, that there would be some space for the Spirit to work and to form and to shape us. And there'd be some breathing room uh, where it's not about um, what new things about hospitality could we say or what new thoughts might we have about it, but rather uh, may we become people formed by the presence of Christ through his spirit to actually live into the welcome of God as he's shown us, as he's shown all of creation, as he's shown humanity. So that's the hope and that's the prayer uh, that of, for this time and for us and for grace that we might be a church who are uh, welcoming and, and who are extending uh, love and hospitality to one another, but extending it beyond ourselves to the stranger to the other, of which we sometimes are to one another. And so this second week, um, our text is John 1, uh, 1 through 14, which you heard read, but the passage we're going to be chewing on from now, Sunday, um, to the next Sunday is, is simply that verse, John 1, 14, that really beautiful verse, uh, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. That is, that is the, the verse that I hope will turn over multiple times in our mind that we will be listening to, that we will be praying through, that we will be thinking about. Um, what does it mean that God, creator of all things, came to us in Christ to live among us, um, to make his home among us? And I don't think that, I don't think that we could ever get to the depths of what that means. Uh, of, of that, that's the type of God that we are called to bear witness to. And so the second week, I simply want to look at two things about um, God and his extension of hospitality. God is both host and God is guest. Uh, and we're staying here in this idea, in this framework theologically with who God is, because if we're going to have the resources to be able to be hospitable people, people who are making space in our hearts and minds for the stranger, then we, we need to be reminded over and over and over again that what this God is like, who has done that first and foremost. 
Um, author David Brooks, in, in an Atlantic article, actually this last week it came out, and I'm sure some of you read it. I saw it all over Facebook. Um, he's, he's, it, the title of it is, is America's Having a Moral Convulsion. And in the article, he's, he's arguing that, that um, society has gone through these various convulsions and, and that they happen where there's a loss of trust and there's a, there's a loss of faith and hope in institutions. Um, and also in, in just even society and people together, um, that the social trust is breaking down. And as a result of that, as a result of that social trust breaking down, that what then can happen is a collapse. And he uses the example that if a church, um, if their trust uh, begins to erode in God, that will collapse. And then it talks about societies of trust um, in, in either institutions or the things that they are that, that are above them or they are to put their trust in, if that begins to erode or in relationships, then society itself will collapse. And it's interesting, as he goes through and tries to diagnose um, this problem, he ends with this, this turn or this sense of, well, maybe here are some um, th- ways forward. Here are some steps forward. And he says this, there's been an implosion of social trust, but trust can be rebuilt through the accumulation of small heroic acts by the outrageous gesture of extending vulnerability in a world that is mean, by proffering faith in other people when that faith may not be returned. And sometimes trust blooms when somebody holds you against all logic. When you expect it to be dropped, it ripples across society as multiplying moments of beauty in a storm. What Brooks is getting at here is that perhaps the way forward um, in, in trying to weave together again the social fabric is this, this accumulation of trust in one another that, that involves things like vulnerability, that involves things like risking. And that sounds wonderful and good. And then the question I have at the end of an article like that is, but what are the resources? What actually makes that possible? That sounds right. And I want to move toward that. But what's the grounding? What's the structure? What's the basis on which those claims are made? And how can that be sustained and nurtured over time? And I actually think the gospel, God coming to us in Jesus, giving his his entire life, and then ultimately all the way to death, and then being raised again, those are the places, those are the actual resources and his ongoing presence in the spirit that make it possible for us, as in, Brooks, in Brooks's language, to extend vulnerability in a world that is mean and by proffering faith in other people when that faith may be returned and to actually believe that it's possible that somebody will hold me uh, and, and hold us even when we think we might be dropped. I mean, the resources for this type of, 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 re, of refinding or rediscovering trust is in God himself, giving himself to us in Jesus. And that's what makes hospitality at all possible. That's what makes making space in our minds and our hearts for the stranger, that's what gives it its sense, its teeth, its actual sustainability, is believing that we have put our faith in a God who has come to us in the person of Jesus, holding nothing back, for our sake and for the sake of the world. 
Amy Oden, a scholar um, who, who's written a lot about hospitality, says God's presence gives courage for the risk that hospitality entails. Hospitality asks us for a deep trust that God is at work, both in the host and in the stranger. And ultimately, it is God doing the welcoming. So it's the presence of God that actually makes it possible to have the courage and the boldness to take the risk of hospitality because it is risky. We don't know what's going to happen if we are open and available and inviting of the stranger. Worlds will be, will be disrupted. Thoughts, ideas will be challenged. But because that is the posture that Christ is inviting us into, because that is the posture that Christ himself took, we know that is the way into the kingdom with other people. But it's a risk, and that risk will only be taken if we trust in God's ongoing presence in our lives, in the church, through the Spirit of God. And so that's why we're going to continue talking about what God is like, what he's done, who he is, because any of our extending of hospitality to the stranger needs to find its place there because it is not just simply an idea. It is not an abstract idea, hospitality. Nor is it utilitarian that we are going to be hospitable so that people might be saved or so that the church might grow or so that I feel good. No, being a person who is being shaped and formed to make space for the stranger and for the other, it finds its grounding in the fact that that is who God has shown himself to be in the person of Jesus. It is faithfulness, hospitality, making space, making room is faithfulness. And in order to be faithful, we need the spirit of God to be moving and stirring and actually working to inspire us in that way. And so God, I want to begin with this idea of God as community, as relationship, as in his essence, being a hospitable being. So many of the church fathers, when they talked about hospitality, they would often refer to the Trinity. Because the Trinity is, is this theological understanding that God is, is three persons in one being or essence. Is that, is that there are three unique relationships taking place um, within uh, God himself, that there is this community that is actually happening. There is this, this constant giving and receiving in this communal nature of God. That God, in his essence, is a communal being. That God, in his essence, is one who extends this hospitality and one who receives. That God, in his essence, is both host and guest. Now, the, the theological word that is used for this is perichoresis, this, this, this continual relationship, mutuality, um, this, this ongoing indwellingness that is taking place in the Trinity. If you feel like I don't know what I'm talking about, that's because I really don't. Nobody does. They try to use words. They try to explain how the Trinity works. And words, um, <laughs> words don't help. How do you explain that God is both one and three? How does that happen? But as, as Christians, this is, this is something that we hold dear to because it's something, and I think it's an important idea because it actually becomes a grounding for the ways that we are both to extend ourselves to others and to receive from others. 
So God, in his essence, is both host and guest. And we see this play out in the story of Scripture. We see this play out in the story of God with Israel and in the story of of God coming to earth in Jesus and ultimately with the Spirit and the church. And so first I want to talk about this, this idea of God as host. And as we think about God as host, here's what I want to say. God is excessive. As a host, God is absolutely excessive. God is excessive in his commitment to his people. We see in Genesis 3, when those he has created rebel and want to take life into their own hands, they, they then do or they want to live life on their own terms and reject God. And then as a result, they are ashamed, they hide, and God in his excessive commitment comes after them to look for them. We see this in his relationship with Israel, that God is excessively committed to holding on to his side of the covenant relationship, to his promises with the people of Israel, no matter what, even all the way into exile. God remains. God is present. God continues to speak. God is excessive in his commitment. We also see that God is excessive in his grace. One beautiful story, which we all know, is is that story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, right? Where the prodigal wishes his father dead, and Jesus is telling the story to say, this is what God is like. This is what your father is like. The prodigal rejects his father. He asks for for his inheritance early, which is to say, basically, I wish you were dead so that I could have this now. The son, of course, leaves home and, and goes and, and, and squanders that which he's been given. And he finds himself in this place of, of utter rock bottom, wondering how he got here. Eating from, from um, a trough where pigs eat. And then having this thought that, wait, even my father's servants are treated better than this and eat better than this. And the prodigal returns home. And then we see the father waiting for his son to return and doesn't wait for his son to get up to the door, but rather runs to his son. A father, a Jewish father running was something that you would never have seen. But this father, he saw his son walking and he couldn't wait. That we see that God in his excessive grace goes after his son. And I love how Tim Keller puts it that this actually reveals that God, it's not just a story of a prodigal son, but of a prodigal God, which this idea of prodigal, which means wastefully extravagant, that God in his excessive showing of grace, we see that the grace is almost shown to be wasteful and absolutely extravagant. And we see God again, or we see the father in that story going out to the older brother who feels the sense of, of, of jealousy or contempt for the grace that has been shown. And we see the father saying, but all, all that I have has been yours. This excessive grace that we see that God has as a host. We see again that, that God is, is excessive in his commitment and grace in the incarnation. Now again, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The message puts it this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Another rendition is the word became flesh and made his home 
among us. Again, this God and his excessive um, commitment and his excessive grace comes to us in the person of Jesus to make his home here, moves into the neighborhood to be with us so that we as strangers might find our home in and with God. As a host, we see that God is excessive in his abundance. Story after story in the Gospels, we see Jesus feeding people, feeding thousands of people. We see this with God and Israel feeding them in the wilderness, that God has excessive abundance and that there is always more than enough. There is always more than enough. So God is the host, is, is, is excessive in his commitment, in his grace, and in his abundance. And we see this worked out in how, in, in, or how he, he eats with people or with whom he eats. Matthew 9, verses 10 through 13 says this, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the way that in the life of Jesus, this God as host works itself out in that he welcomes and invites and eats with those that get him in trouble. People he should not be with. And as I think about this, as I think about God as host in his excessive commitment, grace, and abundance, and it working itself out with these particular types of strangers that find themselves outside of the story, I think, are, are people surprised by whom I eat with? When I share meals with people, would people be surprised who's around my table? Like people were surprised with Jesus. I mean, would they be surprised based on, on, um, on the fact that, wow, look at who he finds himself to be in relationship with. And that's stunning and confusing. And why is that? Is my welcome, is my life as host one where I am thinking about, where I'm in welcoming, where I'm inviting those other, others would be surprised to see me eating with? Racially, economically, politically, theologically. Because Jesus himself as host living into how God is host, we see that this extends to people that it shouldn't. And that the rest of the people couldn't imagine how it would extend to these tax collectors, sinners, these others. And so we see this as God as host, but then we also see God not only as host, but also as guest. So in this verse, John 1.14, as Jesus represents, or not represents, is the actual embodiment of God on this earth, we see that God made himself a guest here. We talk about the incarnation. And when we talk about the incarnation, we can't get around the fact that God made himself in the person of Jesus vulnerable. He made himself vulnerable 
I mean, he made himself as a child to be growing in the womb of a woman and then to be birthed and then to be nourished and nurtured by human parents and by a family. I mean, God in the person of Jesus, we see makes himself a guest and makes himself as a guest vulnerable. We see that God has made himself vulnerable and guest in the way that he's covenanted to a people. He has made promises to a people that he is needed to keep. That is also a sense and a way that God is vulnerable and is incredibly humble. And so God is not only host, giving, God is guest, receiving. We see that God divested himself of that power that that is often at play with the host. By being one, as Philippians 2 said, emptied himself. That Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be exploited, but he emptied himself. This emptying, this giving. We see in the person of Jesus that God made his home here and that God became guest, became vulnerable. We also see that in the person of Jesus, that Jesus was a stranger, was a sojourner, a wanderer, an immigrant. We see that Jesus was homeless. Often the way that Jesus enacted hospitality was by receiving the hospitality of others. Yes, we always see Jesus eating with people. The scandalous thing is that people needed to invite Jesus to eat with them. And Jesus accepted that invitation. I mean, that's a remarkable reversal of how I think we, I, in North America, often consider hospitality. To be hospitable, I think of myself as the host. But that puts me in a place of power. In a place where I am inviting and where I am welcoming. It's a whole other thing to be a guest and to be a stranger. And I think for for us, in our church context, being in North America, being in Southern California, this is something that I think is important for us to take seriously as we consider the person of Jesus. That Jesus himself was a guest and that we need to learn how to be guests as well. We need to learn how to be strangers. Because we don't like to be strangers. We don't like to be strangers. Because we don't like to be dependent. I don't like to be dependent. But God himself came to us in the person of Jesus, revealing both his humility and his vulnerability and his willingness to be dependent. I mean, that's an astounding thing. And that's all wrapped up in here, is that, that the word became flesh and made his home among us. But how often do we put ourselves in positions where we are receiving from people, when we, we are dependent upon others? Because unless we take, unless we consider the possibility that we don't know how to be a stranger, 
then we will never see the ways in which we, we hold on to power or we'll never see the ways in which we are actually just operating consistently without our being aware of it, of the various um, power structures that we have or the, the specific status that we've been given. And for various reasons, economically, perhaps by the color of our skin or just in, in terms of the social hierarchy of how it works. We don't know, I don't know how to be a good stranger. I don't know how to be a good guest. And that is one of the ways if we are going to be moving into this posture, into this, this, this heart transformation and this mind formation of being hospitable, of making space for the stranger, I need to learn how to be a good guest. And this doesn't simply mean eating or having people over. It does mean that, but it also means in, in terms of conversation and, and how we engage that. I mean, this happens all the time in my friendship and conversation. Like, I find a certain level of comfort in asking the questions, of listening to people, of offering advice, of taking responsibility, of helping, of showing grace or extending forgiveness. I like to be there. That feels real good. But to be on the receiving end, to be on the guest end, where I am needing to be helped, where I am needing to be known, where I am needing to be shown grace, where I am needing forgiveness, that is so hard. Even this week, somebody very close to me, like really close, like we live in the same house close, was we were talking about a conversation um, or this moment, and, and, and there was the challenge that I was being defensive, to which I say, no, I'm not. And there's this challenge that, that I really needed to take seriously of not my impulse not being to own something. Because I don't, I don't want to have to own something and then needing to be on the receiving end of that grace or of that forgiveness. Being, being in that position of needing to confess and to say, I don't have it. Thomas Merton says that we often live with this false self and so much of our trying to keep propped up this false self leads to sin, leads to our need to, um, to keep ourselves and others believing that we are something that we are not. And so we start to lie. We start to, to find ourselves coping in various ways. We start to do things that we never thought we would do. Instead of just saying, and following the example of Christ and divesting oneself and becoming dependent on others and saying, this is who I am. And this is what I need. Two of the hardest words for us as Christians in our context to say and to use is, I need. I mean, to be in a position where I am expressing to somebody that I need something puts me in the position of vulnerability, of humility, and utter and complete dependence, and taking the risk of possible rejection. But God, as guest, shows us that that is, that is an essential part of making space and making room, of leaning into our dependence upon one another. Yes, we are called to be hosts, and to be welcoming, and to be inviting. But we are also called to be guests, to be dependent, to be on the terms of others, 
and to receive. And because we have lost the ability to be vulnerable and to be dependent and to receive, with that has been lost this empathy, this understanding of the stranger, of the other. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. God himself shows us as host his excessive commitment, his excessive grace, and his excessive abundance. And that is what makes it possible for us to be host, to be welcoming, to be inviting. But God also reveals to us what it's like to be guests and to empty oneself for the sake of being dependent, for the sake of being open, for the sake of receiving. And he shows that even to the church and to the believer through his spirit. Amos Young says this. He says that every one of us who are following Jesus committed our lives to Jesus, we are a host of the divine. And he says, Trinitarian hospitality is less about being hosts and more about being guests. It challenges us not to be in charge. It challenges us to go. But more than that, it challenges us to go in ways that make others comfortable inviting and hosting us. And it challenges us to enter those spaces as appropriate guests. And all of that invites vulnerability. It invites a way of being spirit-filled that isn't in charge and open to surprise. And open to the other on the other's terms. When we enter into the space as guests, we are not there with an agenda. We are on God's agenda at that point. We are going as guests of others because the spirit goes and is our guest. I mean, think about that. We are hosts of the divine, that God himself and his ongoing presence because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of the Spirit is guest to us. And we are hosts. And then we are caught up in the life of God in this ongoing interdependence and mutuality and commitment to one another of this giving and receiving. That's what's at play in our being hospitable, in our making room for the other and for the stranger, of making space in our hearts in our minds for those who are different than us. I mean, that's what's going on. And it takes place because God himself is that way. And we are made in his image. And he is continuing through Christ in our lives in the spirit to be forming us and shaping us in that way. So may we live into God's welcome as host, trusting in that excessive commitment, grace, and abundance but may we also take the risk and live into the vulnerability that's required to be guest, to be open and to be dependent on others. So the passage for this week, from Sunday to next Sunday, is John 1.14. Read it, think about it, consider it, and think about what it means that the word became flesh and has moved into the neighborhood or made his home among us.
so that we might find home as well. Thanks be to God.